Ladies and gentlemen, Crystal Clear Industries, in association with Rhinestone Radio Podcasts, is proud to present Old Hollywood Realness. Brought to you in vibrant podcastoscope for your listening pleasure. Join your hosts Kathleen Null and Philip Estrada as they recap Hollywood's dazzling darlings one film at a time. And now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Lamo indeed. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, when I saw um, uh, in the, my my Google Calendar, because you put it in there, of uh, like for it says "Blonde Crazy Drops," <laughs> like as one title, and I was just like, "Man, if John Frieda made that as a product, I would buy that," because that's I'm always looking for some sort of blonding. That it sounded like a professional blonding treatment. Ooh la la! Blonde Crazy Drops. Blonde Crazy Drops. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'll be nice. Sound more like a product than a, than a yeah you right. You should totally make that. that. You should patent that. Right. Oh damn it! Somebody else is because oh. I'm t- like five people are listening to this. And somebody's gonna take this. <laughs> so all five of you don't put, don't don't steal oh this. Oh my idea. gosh! On that note, welcome back, y'all. Welcome back to old Hollywood realness. Old Hollywood realness. <laughs> welcome back, you guys. Um, I'm Philip Estrada. I'm Kathleen Nall. And this is the podcast that celebrates the glitz and glamour of Tinseltown's golden era. Um, yeah. Yeah, dogs. Um, we're excited to be back because we're talking about a dope-ass movie. Hell yeah, we are. I'm so excited. This movie was rad. I, oh my gosh. I'm so glad you liked it. Me too. I loved it too. Yes. And I thought it was like, honestly... And I, not that I'm saying we needed a palate cleanser from Vertigo, but I thought it was just such a perfect like flip of the coin totally. from the last movie we nice did. Pivot. And a nice pivot. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about Blonde Crazy, 1931 mm-hmm. from Warner Brothers. Um, it's got James Cagney as Burt Harris, Joan Blondell, National Treasure. Um, okay. And my spirit animal. I mean, just FYI. Well, you're going to share her with me because she's pretty rad. I love her. Uh, I write, I, I know. Um, so, she, so much love to she give. She plays Ann Roberts. We got Louis Calhern, who plays Dapper Dan Barker. Lou, um, Noelle Francis plays Helen Wilson. Ray Milan plays Joe Reynolds. Guy Kibbe plays A. Rupert Johnson Jr. And Polly Walters plays Peggy. Um, this is directed by Roy Del Ruth, and the costumes are by Earl Lewick. Um, so, Kathleen, do you have a history with Blonde Crazy? I don't. I I just found this perusing on uh, Warner Archives, and um, I was looking for. Well, I, I felt like it had been too long since we had done a pre-code movie. Hell yeah! And this just to me fit the bill. Totally. Like I just I read it, so just went on cold turkey, and when I saw it, I was like, we got to do this. We we got to do this one. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought it was kind of fitting also, too, because it's called Blonde Crazy, but we're doing this right after Vertigo, which, again, like that central figure was this mysterious blonde. And now we're doing like another blonde, a completely different kind of blonde. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and it's Joan Blondell. And she's fucking amazing. Oh, God. She. Yeah, just yeah. a breath. This whole movie is just a breath of fresh realness, of fresh air. I, Pre-code, you know, y'all. Pre-code movie. And you know what? We should actually, I don't know if we've, had we ever explained what the pre-code and the code actually means? Um, to, I don't to think the, we have. Uh, To the listeners who may, may not be familiar with it. 
Um, yes. So yeah. loosely, just quickly, and um, I may not have all the facts right because I didn't actually fully research this ahead of time, but somewhere in, I want to say, the mid-30s, mid to late 30s, there was something called the Hayes Code with the Hayes Office. was, mm-hmm. um, And this was a self-governing body. And, well, sorry, let me start over. So this was a code that was put in place by um, William Hayes. Is that right, William Hayes? Yes, and yeah, so, and actually, it, it started even earlier, like it? in the twenties, but no one really enforced it. Right. That's the thing is, it was it was around, but no one really like hardcore enforced it till like the depression. Right, and it was sort of like just like a it was sort of like early <laughs> it was early censorship basically. It was like a yes. series of rules that the studio said that they were going to do in order to make movies that didn't offend um, pretty much the Christian right <laughs> and Christian yes, right, you yes. know, uh, religious mm-hmm. groups of the time because. A lot of movies, what would which are deemed pre-code movies, are super duper racy, and they deal with um, stuff that you just didn't even think that they would deal with in this time period because you thought it was verboten or like it just was kind of like scandalous to even do. They were doing it because it just was sort of like in because artsy people these were artists they were came yes. mostly came from theater so they were used to it there was a lot of movies that dealt with homosexuality mm-hmm. there was a lot of bigamy there was you know um uh infidelity crime a lot of nudity uh, uh-huh. um just yeah the, and but then there were also things that they i feel like like to the other side of that there were also things that were just also very normal like um uh couples uh sleeping in the same That's bed a baby uh, you know born um, in a wedlock like babies born or just yeah or just even showing a woman pregnant yes. i mean just even showing those things or saying the word pregnant um showing a toilet believe it or not oh, showing really? a toilet or something yes like we these are things that like like if you ever notice these glorious shots of of these amazing 1930s bathrooms never show a commode never <laughs> so show weird. the water closet the, <laughs> the toilet no closet. it's true but like no literally you could not show a toilet so it's just like little things like that where it's like you had this spectrum of like okay you can't show side boob but you can't show where people pee either so it was just like it was this very like air of like not realness at all um but like you said like there was this this sort of time uh when the talkies came around they were able sort of able to circumvent this yes and there was this beautiful treasure trove of movies that came from Mm -hmm. this time yeah and um yeah where we saw side boob or um a menage a trois or um you know just a sort of really blatant sexual humor and innuendo um uh, uh, people kissing like full-on open mouth or uh two people um waking up or sleeping in the same bed and they weren't married um people talking getting pregnant people um talking about rape talking about um assault and things like that which were really cut that's the thing is like it wasn't just like the the super sexy it was the the tragic things that couldn't be talked about either so i mean just a lot of things that were really addressed in um in these beautifully subtle and also not so subtle ways um that are just great and uh wonderful and, and just so real like sometimes if you watch them and really watch them um you know, this is pre-plastic surgery, pre-fancy makeup, pre-hairspray, pre-everything, and and the most amazing amazing things were done. Yeah, you know. I mean, this is the era. The pre-code era is like the era of Mae West, like when she was doing a lot yes. of her super Queen. racy, super racy Which stuff. We I got mean, that coming up. <laughs> she's she's amazing. So like the stuff that she would say, yep. like she was Queen innuendo, Queen double entendre. So a lot. Once the Hayes Code happened, so the Depression 
Depression hit, and the the religious right groups, groups sort of got together, banded together, and they were like, "We're not enough with these movies that are showing light, showing our children and our you know, and demoralizing our our people." Mm-hmm. They were they were they were basically threatened with boycott, and at that time, the the the, the uh, studios own the theater, so they couldn't afford to lose any ticket sales. So if an entire city right. just demand or an entire like segment of the um, the country said that they weren't going to watch any movies that were out, they were boned. So they 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 mm-hmm. basically bowed to the pressures and they they uh, self adopted the the Hayes Code, and that's when you started seeing movies get super duper whitewashed and well super yes. duper like watered down. So that's when everything got mm-hmm. super happy and friendly and lovely and like you know they're they're just everything got kind of like paved over with that so you didn't see any yeah. references to that yep. anymore and that's absolutely that's pre-code and then there's code movies like the Hayes code movies so yes and and even some of a, these movies that were that were made pre-code were subjected to the Hayes code cutting post oh yeah like post making like even in this movie there's um not a spoiler alert necessarily but there's a part where you know because uh where James Cagney's character and another is um, introduced to this other racket, which is like selling these good luck charms. And the good luck charms actually were swastikas. Mm-hmm. And prior to World War II, swastikas were actually a sign of good luck. It's, I think and, that comes from um, the Asian cultures, actually, too. Because I it think does. there's references and, and, to that yeah. pre War But these II. like flim flam artists were using, <laughs> making these like little tchotchkes. Mm-hmm. And, but they actually had to cut out the part where he shows it, they had to cut that part out whenever they uh, at some point and that that part is gone forever now because they they cut that out when they had to when they would show it later in theaters right. um into the 40s and then this was one of the films that was very early on put on television wow, really? so it it was subjected to some early cutting wow. That is and now lost. Yeah, yeah, but it's still really. It good. was a we super good fast cut, so it was like a close. Yeah, there, there's like yep. um, talk about it being a close-up yep. shot of the swastika, and and I think a lot of that happened in post World War Two to a lot of references yep. Yep. to swastikas and uh, some even stuff about Germany just in general because there was yeah. not a lot of yep. like people were just like let's not talk about that and move let's just yep. keep moving. <laughs> Which you know what I think is kind of ironic considering this movie was made at the height of prohibition and there's like bottles all over. the like there's liquor bottles it's like people are openly drinking Mm -hmm. and like i was reading how like some of the labels in there like were even put in there knowing that like i guess in some circumstances some of these things were made under medicinal purposes so they were able to kind of put them in the movie but it still is also clearly sending a message that people were still openly drinking during the height of depression like people did not zero fucks were given when it came to imbibing and relaxing (laughs) exactly and uh and yeah so and i think that that's this movie really shows that um it's great this movie is super crazy this movie's crazy body and like lots of references to lots of references to sex and lots of references to you know Mm -hmm. all of the the I mean, there's scamming. Scam. Yeah, and, it's yeah. So the movie's basically all about them. They're grifters. I mean, they're they're yep. grifters, and I, I love that. It's just they're so they're just so like like they're just so open and free about it. They're just like we're scam yeah. artists, and that's what we do. It's the depression. Buddy's got to make a buck. Like, and, yep, exactly. You know, it's like it's like everyone's in a grifter, and then like there's good ones and bad ones. Yeah, and like it's like it's weird. It's funny you know? too because the grifters are grifting the grifters. It's in this yes, movie is so yes, good it's and so good. Um, I love that. Uh, what was it? They um, 
there was that line where James Cagney says he's like, the world owes me a living and I'm not going to work. He's like, I'm not going to work all day like a chump. <laughs> he's like, he's yes, he's like, exactly. So good. Um, I was doing uh, some quick research on the um, on Blondell and Cagney. They actually ended up making seven films together. And this is and four of them. They were paired romantically. Uh, Sinner's mm-hmm. Holiday in 1930. Blonde Crazy in 1931. Footlight Parade, which we talked about early on in the podcast. Oh, yes. 1933. And that one is a treasure. Oh, God. Such a treasure. So this one's not a musical. Um, and then the last one they did together as a romantic pair was um, He Was Her Man in 1934. Um, so uh, Cagney and Blondell were discovered by Hollywood together in a Broadway play called Penny Arcade. Um, Off screen, the duo were good friends and they met, um, they originally met on auditions in 1929. Uh, Blondell recalls first meeting um, Cagney at an audition when he said to her, your eyes are so big they look like they're about to pop out of your head. Uh, Cagney and Blonde... (laughs) (laughs) I guess guess that's a compliment. (laughs) Since then, magic. Um, So Cagney and Blondell remained lifelong friends and he had several nicknames for her such as the Naive Sophisticate and grandma um which i loved i just love it i love these stories so much <laughs> i just love why is there not a movie about these people this is so amazing good. um i love the idea of james cagney calling joan blondell a young woman probably at the time calling her grandma like it's just yes makes me, yeah makes me giggle i love it um let's see what else is there uh yeah so uh this in their first three films together, they were paired as supporting characters and B storylines. It wasn't until their fourth film, uh, Blonde Crazy, that the duo were uh, front and center as a leading couple and build together on the marquee. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie was also originally titled Larceny Lane, but was changed to sound sexier. Um, yep. And Time Magazine called this movie a chipper, hard-boiled, amusing essay in petty thieving. <laughs> so, I mean, Time Magazine loved it. So. <laughs> Like, why not us? (laughs) And, you know, it's so interesting. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because I was reading, too, like, um, because this came out the same year. Because, like, apparently these people were doing, like, a million films a year. Even though they were – I I can't imagine. Like, these people working so fucking hard. And, like, like they were cranking this shit out. And um, the other movie he did that year was Scarface. And that's what people really remember him the most for. It's like up until, like, he was pretty much, like, going to be, like, sort of the hoofer, singer, dancer, you know, like, doing all that stuff. Kind of like what we saw, you know, in Footlight Parade. But then when he did that, it was like... It, it was it was done you know like that really that really helped solidify him as um this like in this sort of like gangster kind of typecast role um that he continued to play you know uh, for for a couple decades yeah um yeah but i i think he's fucking cute in this movie God, he's, I think he's so really good cute. he's he, very charming they oh. both have amazing comic timing oh, they really so do good. so, so good so good just the way that they. This movie is, is truly delicious. It's just this little slice into this little transitional period between the 20s and the 30s, in mm-hmm. like the height of the depression. It's just gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I love this movie. I, I think I watched it like four times in preparation for this. Oh. I was just like, I'll put it on and just like drrift ever so slightly off to sleep, and then I'll just like yeah, turn it off it's and then very start it back up later. To watch. It's oh, so good. 
Yes. Oh, and that's that's what I actually wanted to say is like um, the the song in here. So that song, it's um, I I love that song. It's one of my favorite old songs ever. Um, it's called uh, When Your Lover Is Gone, and it was actually written the same year that the movie came out. So oh, really? I can only imagine that must have been like a pop song for that time. Oh, probably. It was written or it was written for that movie. I really did not get to research enough to see if there was a direct correlation, hmm. but it it was written the same year. Um, and uh, one of my favorite renditions of that song is done by the lovely and talented Keely Smith, aka the Queen of Las Vegas, um, who I just think has. If Google her, you guys, um. she and she does an amazing version of this song that is, I would say, almost any Lennox, any Lennox like, and like you can take a sad song and make it magnificent. And uh, yeah, but it's <laughs> it's beautiful, and it plays like you you hear it in the intro, like they. The, you hear that song in the intro of the movie and then you hear it sort of woven throughout especially toward the end when you see like Cagney and Blondell and they're kind of like you know she's like sort of pledging her love to him and everything so oh yeah, yeah. I just yeah, I had like to oh it's so good oh it's so good yeah, yeah. I love the so. way that the movie oh, opens. And also, I, I fell in love with that movie real quick. I fell in that love love with that song by watching The Rocketeer because that's the that's uh, the song that the girl who comes out of the clamshell sings. Okay. Oh my god. So if anyone just I didn't just refresh that. your memory, okay. So that was the movie when Jennifer Connelly, uh, pre uh, <laughs> pre breast reduction, was like scrumptious in that movie. Oh my god. <laughs> she is like 1940s perfection. She I'm just take a moment. I just want to take a moment. Was first of all, I love. I mean, that scrumptious. That movie gets a bad rap, but that movie was oh, so good. I <laughs> so good. remember watching that movie just being like, I want to be the Rocketeer. Oh, please. Everybody's beautiful. Oh, yes. God. Everybody's beautiful in that movie. Billy Con- Was it? What's his name? Billy. Oh, God. What's Billy Connolly. Is it, Bi- no, uh, is it Billy Connolly? It's not Billy Connolly. I think it is, right? It's Jennifer Connolly and Billy something or other. Well, Jennifer Connolly and. Uh, yes. And, and then. Oh, uh, my God. He was, in, uh, he was in that show with Celia C- Ward where it was like once and again or something like that but he was still yes. gorgeous in the late in the early 2000s I was like damn he still looks like the Rocketeer he's so pretty yes yeah no he he aged very oh, well God. and you know, oh, yeah that movie's amazing oh, anyway I just had to take a moment Woo. but that's where like I heard that song and I was like whoa, whoa, whoa that's the Rocketeer song I know right <laughs> yeah oh, my God. so it's called uh, When Your Lover Is Gone and please google that song it is gone it is amazing okay. amazing amazing so Right. And for those of you who are screen, <laughs> and for those of you who are screaming at your um, at your iPhone, it's Billy Campbell. <laughs> yes, Billy Campbell, uh, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, Billy Campbell. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, oh, that movie is pretty. Disney, y'all. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. Disney movie. Oh yeah, um, real good. Yeah, real good. Oh god. Um, All right. But this isn't about Rocketeer. <laughs> this is about Sorry, Blonde Crazy. but this isn't about that or our obsession with that movie. This is about Blonde Crazy. <laughs> uh, but if okay, but anyway. if you want to discuss the Rocketeer on our Facebook page, please go ahead. We'll talk about it. Yes, all yes. But we will talk about it all the long day because we love that movie so much. Oh, so good. Um, yeah. Um, so, what did you have anything else about this wonderful film? Um, just Before that would be the one-liners the are amazing. Um, and this, yeah, uh, that was about the, it. Um, my the yeah. rapid fire I guess jokes are like the rapid fire so jokes. Good. Um, I, I, my favorite quote is here. Uh, from the movie is from Joan Blondell when she says, "Why should I be jealous of a beached, a bleached old bag like that? <laughs> bleached old <blonde laughs> bag like that." <laughs> 
Yeah, why should I be jealous of a bleach, bleached out bag like that? <laughs> oh my God. Oh I can't. God. I was practicing it before and I just flubbed it, but oh well. It's, it's but yes, so it's so great. Oh, uh, bleached out bag. Bleached oh, out bag. <laughs> so good stuff. Good stuff, y'all. Oh, <sighs> God. That's right. Take it away, Philip. Sure. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, I love this. Like, call me. It's like, my name is Bert. Call me Albert for short. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, let's see. Uh, so, Blonde Crazy. So, this movie um, introduces us to the bellhop Albert, played by James Cagney, and chambermaid applicant Anne, played by Joan Blondell. Albert meets Anne while bringing her to the head of housekeeping for a job that may already be taken. Um, Bert, who's already smitten with um, Anne instantly, he lies in order to her to get her to in order to get her a job that job um let me try that again um, bert uh, smitten with Anne instantly lies in order to get her the job uh so uh, bert is the hotel's resident con man and getting his way comes easily so Anne begins work and then she's called up to a room where bert has set up a love nest um uh uh, and Anne, wanting none of it, leaves leaves after slapping the shit out of Bert. <laughs> um, and later, Anne is tasked with bringing, <laughs> right. I know it's this the slapping in this movie. There's some <laughs> qual- quality slapping. So good. <laughs> Feel like the well first, justified slapping. <laughs> the first half of this movie is just a slap fest. Like everyone's yeah, Joe Blundell slapping. Slapity slap 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 slap. So good. Um, so. Uh, and be, so she later Anne is tasked with bringing towels up to a room with a creepy traveling salesman played by Guy Kibbe. Um, he, he ends up he tries to put the moves on her, but Anne escapes his clutches when a pearl necklace breaks and scatters all over the floor. Um, and then Bert um, Bert delivers items to the same room and sells the salesman some overpriced bootleg hooch by claiming that Anne only drinks his product and she might be open to sharing a drink with him. Um, Bert then splits his earnings with Anne and proposes that they partner up to fleece the creep even further. Uh, They set up a con where Anne and the married salesman get caught by a cop, requiring him to bribe his way out of the situation to the tune of $5,000. So they, with cash in hand, Anne and Bert hit the rails to a bigger city to fleece more unwitting marks. While at an upscale hotel, they meet Dan, played by Louis Calhoun, and Helen, played by Noel Francis, who also are partners in the rackets. Um, and Dan convinces Bert to buy counterfeit bills using their $5,000 payday. And Dan and Helen take off with all the money. Um, as it turns out, the counterfeiter was actually working for Dan and Helen, and there wasn't any fake money. So they... Keeping Anne out of the loop, Bert ends up fleecing a jewelry store out of an expensive bracelet and pawns it to make back the money um, that they lost. Um, So Bert is fuming from the ordeal, and him and Anne hit the rails again, this time to New York City. Um, Anne meets Joe Reynolds, played by Ray Milland, on the train, and they start crushing on each other mad hard. Uh, <laughs> while Anne is out to lunch in New York City, she runs into Dan at a hotel, and Dan gloats about his triumph over Bert, also mentioning that he shipped off Helen and could use Anne as his new sidekick. So Anne goes back and reports all of this to Bert, and they cook up a scheme to get back at Dan. Uh, Anne partners up with Dan in some sort of racehorse scheme um, where they 
are working on a mark, this guy getting money out of him. But it turns out that that dude was working for Ann and Bert, and they take Dan for roughly $20,000. And that's no small change in 1931. No kidding. Um, Yeah, the thousands of dollars that they were throwing around in this time period i was like jesus christ they have that kind yeah, of money yeah that would be like 50 grand yeah i would assume jesus i mean five grand would be 50 grand in the 30s pretty much um so bert suggests that they run off to europe and get hitched but Anne just had just proposed or had just accepted joe's proposal um so uh so bert hits the seas and after some time bert returns from europe and receives a visit from the now married Anne. Um, and turns out that Joe has lost $30,000 of his firm's money in a money-making scheme of his own. So Anne asks Bert if there's any way that he can help. So Bert agrees to help um, and visits Joe's office. Bert proposes that he robs the safe using Joe's key and combination in order to cover up all the missing money. So that night, while Bert is pulling the job, Joe tips off the popo and gets him arrested. Um, Anne ends, visits Bert in the clink professes her love for him and vows to wait for him. Bert is over the moon if with his turn of events. The end, honey. <laughs> Hello, honey. Honey. <laughs> I wish I knew the. I wish I knew the. Delightful. <laughs> I wish I knew the origin of the honey. I wonder if that was like a reference to something maybe happening in pop culture in 1931, but yeah. I don't. It's yeah. just kind of funny the way that they he uses that all the time um, in yeah. the movie. It's so funny. It um, is really funny. And it's just kind of like it's kind of like a weird character foible that just makes it it just gives it more, adds more layers yeah. to it. Um Yeah. And the fact that Anne plays along with it and like kind of like improvs with him in a way and kind of like yes Anne's him. It's I don't know, it yeah. just makes it just makes their um their relationship so much better, oh, so much the better, you know. And I'm like I, I yeah. want I want them to be my friends and I know, I know. They're so great. Yeah, I know, and then we can it just. It makes you want to like live in the thirties. Pull con it's so jobs awesome. <laughs> in expensive <laughs> hotels <laughs> with those looks uh, that people wear every night. My God, oh, it's ju- it's interesting to think that 1931, which was sort of like shortly after the crash, so people would have yes. been really like feeling it pretty hard, but it wouldn't have the been height, as yeah. you know so. It would have been. So this is like fan. I mean, I could only assume these kind of dresses and these kind of looks must have just been sheer fantasy for a lot of people. Oh yeah, I mean, it just it, it's funny because a lot of people lost a lot of money in the crash, but the people that yeah. were rich and could afford to lose that much money, they they were fine, you know. So, mm-hmm. like, while meanwhile, fifty percent of the people lost their jobs and lost all of the money yeah. they ever had. Um, it, it's just interesting that they're they're still able to have like high end hotels and like you know go tea dances and dance around and you know in tuxedos for yeah. dinner you know it's so it's yeah it's, it's interesting to see and to throw around five thousand dollars to cover you know to bribe a cop to, when no you're kidding. caught with a when yeah. you're caught with another woman when you're married. 
and I feel like you really see a lot of like um like the the transitional fashions from like the 20s to the 30s you really 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 see in this movie especially like uh, you especially see it in like with the w- what the women are wearing in the daytime versus the nighttime like oh, in yeah. the nighttime they're wearing what I would think is like full 30s floor length you know like bias cut gowns with like just um like with like with the na- at the natural waist like very slinky um but then like during the day they're still wearing things that almost have like a drop waist and a very like 1920s vibe with cloche hats and these very close you know closely bobbed finger waved hair that is still very reminiscent of the decade before right and um i think that that's really you really see that a lot in this um and i think like um Particularly, like, when you look at... And you don't get to see it for very long, but, like, when Joan Blondell gets married. Mm-hmm. And when her when Anne gets married, um, you really see, like... You can see that just... It almost looks like a mix of, like, the 20s and the 30s together. Right. Um, she's got, like... Um, that like like the long super long veil that's like almost made into like a cloche sort of look on her hair with the orange blossoms and she's got these very you know the long bouquet but then there's other like elements about her dress that are also like the raised waistline and other things that are still like see where where it's like moving forward into the 30s um but again, it's still not very like really tightly girdled or or like a super like a, like sort of buttoned up and tucked in as it was toward the later part of the 30s. It's still more natural. Like you even see like when Cagney's like holding up her he's literally holding up her underwear and it's still like like little petty pants mm-hmm. and a little brassiere and like things that were looked like they're still very 1920s. Like not a lot of support. He's not like you know, like holding up some big heavy girdle or something right, that yeah. you would have seen a little bit later. Um, yeah, so it's, I, 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 it's great. Oh I mean, this is a great, yeah. um, you know, and, and even the men's stuff. Like, I love the variety of like the collar shapes and the, um, the, the suits. And you can tell there's like patterns, like all these different patterns and textures are being mixed together um, and the different hats and all that. So I thought it was great. It's such a great little, even though it's black and white, you can really tell. And um, if you go on our website, oldhollywoodrealness.com, <laughs> and you look at our screenshots, um, we um, what we tried to do is um, we took screenshots from the movie, which, um, to be honest, is not, because it's it's it was made in 1931, it's not a very crisp black and white, so um, it, it's a little on the blurry side when you try to, like, sort of take a screenshot and, and try to capture, you know, the looks. Um, so what we tried to do is um, put... Um, sort of side-by-side pictures of, like, you know, fashion prints and other illustrations from that exact same year to give you an idea of what that, you know, what people were wearing at that time to really kind of illustrate, um, you know, the the costumes and the, the, the direction of the costume design from the movie that we couldn't really, we couldn't really provide as we want to <laughs> yeah it, it, these turned out really cool actually i really like those so please do take Thanks. advantage of these photos these, that's these right are really cool. a couple things that i wanted to talk about um was that yeah. scene that you were talking about where bert was going through her underwear because he was retrieving she yes so that scene is that scene is pre k um pre haze code like 100 percent. that would have been pre-code. cut because oh my god like one, so much he goes yeah. in and she's taking a bath like she's legit in the bath Mm -hmm. and she is 
like it is understood she is naked, fully naked. Taking they make it very clear she's naked. He yeah. opens the door and like almost walks in on her and like teases her in a way. Like that would have been yes. n- like that's scandalous, like completely scandalous. And yes. then he, so he's like, can I have the money that I gave you? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, yeah, it's in my brazier. You can get it. Again, yes. He's this would have been good. Fondling. Or even saying brazier. Straight up fondling <laughs> her flimsies. <laughs> Looking through them, wearing them like, like men do, wearing them like eye patches. He put the bra on around. his face. Put the bra onto his face. Nineteen thirty one. Which, by the way, she had a secret fucking pocket in her bra. I mean, ladies, that's we how need you do. these. <laughs> I mean, like, that's that's a depression pocket right there. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> in your nicks. You would not have seen that. I mean, you would not have seen that sort of like behavior until oh, like no. the sixties. Like, you would not. Yep. So thirty years would have gone by on film that they would not allow any a man to be touching a woman's underwear like that. That's yep. crazy. Straight up, like a woman who is like in the other room next to him, like him picking up her underwear, and he's doing it in jest, like. La da da. This is something I do on the regular. Yep. Like no big deal. No big deal. Yep. Um, which I, I that scene, I was like, Love. holy shit! This movie is yep. such a. It's like such a wonderful time capsule to see that. Like, it is. and of course, at the time, they were just like, this is no big deal. Like this, any nope. any guy who's friends with a woman or who's even romantically linked with a woman would would do that. That's it's completely normal, yeah. you know. And yeah, it's it's which. As we as as human beings who have had those relationships, we know that. But but like that is what it's just really great to see that that was being portrayed. My God, like 80 years ago Uh in a realistic (laughs) way, that was being portrayed realistically. Um, And it's it's uh, it's it's you know what? Do you I have a I have a weird it's like it's great to see. But then the part of me feels really angry. Oh, really? You're just like, really? Yeah, because you're just like, really? What the fuck? Like, what happened? I, I mean, I know what happened, but you're, it's it's that high. I, I think for me, it's that idea of like, if this hadn't been stopped, if this hadn't been so altered and changed, like what would we have? What could we have done? I know. You think know? about the society, like, how that would have yeah. affected society. You're right. That is, it's kind of like just, just the shame factor, yeah. just like the shaming, that the slut shaming, and all that kind of stuff that comes from like sex and and just bringing up and talking about these things in a, you know, just to be able to handle things in a very natural and non-judgmental and non-shameful way right. is so progressive. Like we still can't ha- put a ha- we don't still don't have a handle on that. I'm not saying they did back then, but the fact that 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 was at least being done is a big fucking deal. Yeah, it would. Uh, yeah, I agree with you that if we were allowed, if they were allowed to show the sort of like you know lifestyles of the young or like just like the openness yeah. of sexuality and like just people probably would have been not like and to think that this was going on at a time when not everyone had access to movies and that sort of thing and then as the depression went on the movies became even more and more important and if they were more yeah. st- reflective of so like socially what's happening and they were allowed to do that you're right they could have done they could have moved society forward a lot more you know totally well i mean look at like joan blondell's character like she i mean there are there are lines that she says where you know it is very clear that she is being you know we don't know if she how what level of 
things she's doing with these guys but it's it's been made very clear that she is flirting and being paying attention to men and letting them pay attention to her in a certain way so that she can get money so that she can play this game and she at some point says to james cagney like you know you don't you don't know what it's like to have men pot you that you you don't want you don't want that like these are guys you have no interest in they're they're doing this to you and and like he doesn't sympathize with her in that moment, but he he. But at the same time, he still loves her. He doesn't shame her either. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get weird or squirrely. Yeah. He, you know, he understands that like she's working a con with him, and he does not shame her for that. Yeah. Like there's no shame in their in their game, really, literally, and and that's that's just a very interesting thing. Like he never, even when she goes off and she's with that other guy, like he never. He never freaks out or calls her a slut or does anything like, you know, because she didn't. She didn't con. She never conned him. She never did. And then in the end, like she comes back to him and he's like and she's like, I know we can't be together, but I have your back because you had mine. Yeah. And that's like very depression era kind of story. Like that was that whole like we're like we're out against the man. Like there was a lot of like working class protocol that kind of went around and that's like in that sort of narrative that we just i don't know it's it's a slice of that time it's it, it and yeah. it's it's really beautiful it's this movie is really something but, to um, see but yeah like, it really really is. it really is something um to another point too that i thought was inter- that was kind of interesting is uh there's a scene where Blondell and Cagney are talking and he's there is early in the film and he mentions like them getting together or something or being like a couple. And she, he says something about his looks. Basically he says something like, yeah. he's like, I know I'm not, he's like, I know I'm not, you know, like the best looking guy. And she's like, you know, you're not, she's like, yeah, you know, you're not, you're not, she's like, you're not, you're not a shirt collar or you're not a collar ad. But, you know, you yeah. got to look, which I thought I love that it, she referenced the so air, the arrow shirt collar ads because yeah. that's um, which is in- an interesting little tidbit, too, because that's um, that was a um, archetype from the t- um, late or like late 20s, early 30s, because the shirt collar arrow shirt collar was like the biggest shirt collar provider for men. And there was mm-hmm. what was called the arrow shirt collar man. And it was um, it was an illustration that was done by um, J.C. Lyon decker um and he was an amazing okay. illustrator and he for um, i got his i recently purchased his book and because he was an amazing he did all the, like a lot of covers for like the saturday evening post and all um and uh harper's bazaar and all this stuff and his his illustrations for the arrow shirt collar man were sort of like the masculine ideal of the 20s and 30s of what they were because wow. they were such beautiful men and of course they were all models for him and of course they of were course. all people that i'm sure he did a couple of diddles to you know so <laughs> he's just like Ugh, and you also know, so. um, just also too like when you're talking about shirt collars this was at a time when collars were separate from the right. shirt right like this was a this was the the at the height of fashion at that time was to have these very tight 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 fitting collars and of course you can't keep that shit clean all the time and what they would do is they would have these collars that you could uh take out and switch out and then you would they would clean them like literally boil them starch them and then start all over again and that was uh one of the leading i guess uh i i can't even attribute it to like what it would be today like what would be like a leading 
sort of like brand or fad. Yes, yeah, so it's I was like, gonna say like, like the guest jeans of collars. No, it's like but the Marlboro. It was heavily, basically like the Marlboro <laughs> Man. So it yeah, was like the yeah, arrow totally. shirt collar guy was like what the Marlboro Man was in the eighties. So wow. it was like the masculine ideal of the man at the time. And so to for her to mention the arrow shirt collar guy sort of off the cuff was shows that this movie was very current and very like yeah. steeped in pop culture, which makes me curious about the honey if that was a reference to like a yeah. radio show. Or a t- or a song or something that wasn't used yeah. or something. So I just or maybe like slang that was used yeah, at the maybe. time because they were in their twenties too. Mm-hmm. I mean they were young. They were young. Um, there's uh, also wanted to talk about too the character um, of Helen, um, played by uh, played by uh, what should I call it? Played by uh, Noel Francis, Noel Francis. Mm-hmm. So she had some really amazing gowns in the movie too. And I think yes. what was interesting about her gowns, and I don't know if the the character uh, the costume designer Earl Lewick did this on purpose, but her gowns looked more 1920s. Like than yes. some of the other sort of like bit players that had like speaking like like the dancers in the in the, the dancers that he's like checking out all their behinds. yeah but their like gowns <laughs> yeah that was so funny the parade of butts and he's just uh, like, let's face it y'all Cagney's an ass yes. man as one of our Instagram followers so uh, cleverly pointed out because it, he's literally in the title card he's checking out dad ass dad so uh, ass. it's hilarious <laughs> dad nineteen thirty one bootie yeah like bootie girl. <laughs> Yes. Pre-code, y'all. Pre-code. Pre-code. Let me holler at that butt. <laughs> um, and you can tell there's a few times in the movie where he's totally checking out Blondell oh as she's walking. The very in. first like, scene. He's got oh. horny eyes oh looking God. at her. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Looking at her. The first time they meet, he's looking her up and down like she is a cut of, like, a cut of prime rib. Like, just she, Petite sirloin. <laughs> seriously. Petite sirloin. <laughs> so funny but so um but helen's gown so she has that cocoon coat that's all sheer beaded with the fur collar and the fur the russian coat though that giant yeah the russian coats were huge back then those are the with the giant, which I always think of like singing in the rain yes. because they totally like Lena Lamont had one. But, but it like, feels that to me yeah, is like it feels almost know, a couple. It feels almost like a couple years earlier, which I wonder if they're trying yes. if he was trying to make a reference to like, hey, she's she's a she's a grifter. So she, her clothes may not be yeah. up to snuff, like immediately up to the latest fashions. Whereas oh, that, like I the ladies. Yeah, yeah, like the ladies in the um in the ballroom scenes are like, yeah, they're, they're fresh. more fresh and like her gown that yeah. she wears right right when um, they steal the money from Cagney her gowns like got all the geometric beading it's a little bit more busy and a little bit more like yeah. you know rot- like it looks a little older than um yeah. than the girl like because you would normally see like very like not a lot of cha-cha on the gowns it would be very like sheer right. maybe or it's cr- just, just beautiful the straps, neckline maybe. or something yeah, yeah like on those yeah. like you've got some beautiful shots of the um of the of the ladies who are also sort of like shifty grifters as well. Cause you can hear their dialogue oh, that they talk about, but they have like beautiful, Ask like me about my open back gown. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. So beautiful. But she's got some really wonderful, like wonderful, wonderful costumes. There's that other one that she yeah, had. It's like yeah. kind of like waterfall tears of like beaded edged really like, beautiful. fabric. It's so beautiful. And she's got that yeah. wonderful, like, Marcel Wave hair that's all close to the... Oh, the hair is oh. so tight and on point oh in this God. movie. It is, again, just that 
perfectly transitional show of like you can see where the 20s Bob is becoming the 30s Marcel wave Mm -hmm. and just two years later it'll get a little looser and a little longer but like that that is that right in between period where it's like it is serviceable it is working for the time because it's like but it's because to me it's like it's the 20s but it's also that like in the 30s, there was this return to femininity, I think, from, like, well, a lot from, like, the Depression and just things. But, again, even return to femininity was sort of this, like, slogan that was sort of done. And you can you really see that early, early set of it with, like, the curls and the hair and the soft, like, you know, the soft fluttery sleeves. And then, like, the more soft, like, again, the raised waistlines and the longer skirts. Yeah, like, everything is more hugging the body. Yeah, showing a woman's hu- figure. Showing the woman's, exactly. Yeah so beautiful it is so beautiful and like um yeah i i i love yeah it looks really good and i i had um what's uh oh 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 i meant to tell you so today i did some like last minute looking up on uh or look um mm-hmm. the costume designer just to get a few more tidbits yep. and it turns out that um so because we were talking about him like because who's this guy right yeah. like we were kind of like who who is this guy and um because he was at warner brothers so he's at warner brothers from the late 20s to early 30s from 28 to 33 Ooh. so he did a lot of the pre-code movies nice. there and then and then he was at 20th 20th century fox um just from like 42 to 43 so in the early like like wartime wow. 20th century fox right um and that's why like again because i was looking at him and he did he's known i would think best for doing Carmen miranda and betty grable in springtime in the rockies Ugh. okay so that's from his 20th century yeah. stuff um but he originally um he kind of reminds me a lot of that like uh dot uh like the the makeup artist for um, Judy Garland, where like these are people who started off as extras in the 1920s and then ended up getting jobs in like makeup or costume design or whatever, right. just from like networking. Yeah. And that's what happened with him. It's like he um, he just he was an extra and he ended up bumping into uh, he was working as extra on um, with uh, Douglas Fairbanks on Robin Hood. And he ended up bumping into Adrian, which I don't know how this happens in like in life, but he it happened because huh. he was working there at the time. And um, and he they kind of networked and um, he's like, hey, you know, I, I have these designs, these sketches. He's like, hey, you know, drop me a postcard. And they eventually got in touch. Um, he sent him a postcard and um, he was surprised. Like Adrian called him and offered them a job as assistant costume designer on The King of Kings, which is like a Cecil B. DeMille, like big 1920s thing so he immediately wow. got a gig working with adrian oh right um, yeah because adrian yeah I, like people forget that adrian had been working for a really the long 20s, time 20s dude a long yeah, time before the because th- he's most famous he for was the 30s. cecil b demilness yeah yeah that's but he right. was doing like this. Was, so this is when everybody was like early, early pioneers. Right. Wow. And then he did um, he did this movie called The Satin Woman in 1927, um, and which was, I guess, was a big movie at that time. And then uh, b- right before he signed uh, for Warner Brothers um, and then he designed gowns for over 80 Warner Brothers films and first national films until he was replaced by Ori Kelly in 32. Oh, wow. And so um, and that's when he um, and, and actually right after that, he actually decamped to Fox Films where he worked on 14 films including a best picture winner cavalcade for 1933 Mm. um he worked on four historical films for warner brothers before leaving hollywood in late 1933 for new york city and then he worked on seventh avenue and hired future iconic fashion designer bill blass as his assistant what 
I know. That is amazing. I know. No, so this all happened just in the 30s. So then in in the 40s, he returned to 20th Century Fox in 42. He designed for 12 more films, including Springtime in the Rockies and all those amazing ones. Then, (laughs) then, I know, right? Then he, okay, so in, in 1985, he wrote a memoir called Hollywood Kept Me in Stitches, Hollywood and Death Valley 7th Avenue as seen through the eye of the costume designer Erlux Needle. And, uh, and so, and and he he co-wrote it with somebody else. It's remained to be unpublished. Uh, it's unpublished. What? It is unpublished. I can't. There is so there's a transcript of it at the Kent State University where all the other amazing fashion things live, which is another thing we can talk about on another day because that's like a treasure oh trove. Oh my over god, there. really? Um, I hope it sees the light of day because um he was he was willing to dish about his favorite Hollywood stars, Carmen Miranda, Loretta Young, Alice Faye, Betty Davis, and Ginger Rogers, and those he did not care for, such as Edith Head, <gasps> Rita Kaufman, Betty Grable, John Barrymore, and Florence Eldridge. And then it says it. So there was a quick review done about it in the late 80s when it came somebody reviewed it said it was termed racy um, in 89 in the issue of Films Review but to date has not found a publisher a transcript of the biography again is at Kent State um, and so I have I, I have some other quotes that I was able to pull that this guy I think from from this transcript oh um, it said on ja- on Jack Warner he said uh, Jack Warner he wants me to a, a shirt salesman a director that guy must have laughed at one of Jack's jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of his uh, his notes on well-endowed, working with well-endowed actresses. Sometimes the only well-developed thing in the picture was the negative of the film. When I saw a test of Betty Grable in Footlight Parade, I noticed she was stretching a bit at the seams. Betty had stuffed in two pairs of falsies. We made allowances for them on... Uh, uh, we, we made allowance for, allowances for them. Uh, George Jessel brought in a young girl to the studio for a test, very well in doubt. She told the fitter to be very careful with the pins. We soon discovered that her busts were rubber and filled with water. <laughs> and then on Edith's head, he is known as calling her a Medusa's head. Oh, shade. Shade of it all. Major shade. Oh, my God. So, I wish I had, um, like, the clapping fan sound. I know. <laughs> because, like... It's just happened. Um, yeah, so this was a fun wow. one to research. That's yeah. amazing. I did not know that he had a memoir. We need to start I a Kickstarter know. for that. What well, the fudge? I think, I actually think if, um, so I've been looking into this. If I, I think if we like go to Kent State, we can actually go and like read the memoir. Like Ooh we can actually la. go and research it and read it. Ooh, that'd be kind of yep. rad. <laughs> Just like, cause they have tons of co- like costume designs and like yeah. costume stuff there, and we were like, "Hey, look, we're professionals in the industry. We do our <laughs> thing. We they probably would actually let us in." We're business. I'm telling you, we're business women here we're, on we're business. We're business lady. Do you have any business women specials? <laughs> we're business women. <laughs> we're on business. <laughs> oh my god, we should run Michelle this shit to Kent State. Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think we're writing another Cagney Blonde doll movie right now. <laughs> oh gosh, Matt. Mad cap, mad oh, cap dear. review. Oh <laughs> Jesus H. <laughs> I, 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 well, so anyway, th- that's Earl Luke. Okay, first of all, <laughs> this scenario that you just wrote is seriously going to end in some sort of like mad caper, us like being chased through Kent State <laughs> into like a high speed style like cop chase that's going to end in a Blues Brothers style pile up. <laughs> I know. Well, it, it, it's a very small town. It could be very hilarious. <laughs> no seriously i went there a few years ago it's like um it's it's uh you know it's a small college town but they have 
the most amazing, amazing collection I and know. treasure trove of not just not just clothing, historical clothing, but like documents and um, manuscripts wow, and things so that cool. are just it, it is it is amazing and um, it, it's it's all there for us. We we've got to we got to dig in. Yeah, I mean, because I want to I want to read this shit. <laughs> <laughs> this looks amazing. Wow. Why hasn't somebody published this? I know. Oh right? my god. <laughs> I just love the idea. He calls Edith Head a Medusa's head. What the fuck, dude? I, know. I just We just did a whole thing about her and how great she was. And I'm like, really, Queen? Let's hear your side of the story. Look, I mean, you can't be all... <laughs> because you seem quite accomplished. Listen, I know. You can't be all things to everybody. You, know, you can't get to get right? along with exactly. everybody. So what are you going to exactly, do? Exactly, yeah. Oh, my God. Love uh, that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, this has to be... We have to... We might need to go to Kent State at some point in our lives. I know. Oh, yes. God, take For a little screenshot. Let's use our phone and click, click, click. Oh, gosh. Well, it would just be so fun to be able to, like, we could do a special and talk about some of this stuff. Mm. It's so dishy. Well, oh, my gosh. No promises yet, but <laughs> <laughs> certainly it sounds like a fun idea. <laughs> Nerd alert. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so rad! So right? cool. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't wait. I was like, oh my god, Philip's gonna be so excited when I find this. I did good, right? I did good. Oh god. I just love the idea of a, anyway, I just love the idea of a shady queen just being like, oh, that was made of rubber and filled right? with water. I know. <laughs> Let me tell you what those were. I thought he just like, I saw some pulling on that shot. <laughs> oh, yeah? Because you put a bunch of fake titties in there and you didn't tell me? Oh, thanks a lot. Because you know who's going to yell yell that? Not you, bitch. Me. Me. Because your shit didn't fit. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so definitely watch this movie because this movie has yeah. got a lot of ins. Like this, it's this movie's really cool because it's a contemporary movie, movie, and it's 1931, so it really shows you what people were mm-hmm. wearing at the time. Like I think that it's definitely like it's not like he was going for ultra glam. He wasn't going for no. you know you know something that people were aspiring to. He was really kind of going for like. In the for, moment, like, realness, and this movie really yeah. gives you that. Uh, gives you you know. It delivers on on so many levels. Um, yeah, so. it really does. And again, check out our screenshots at oldhollywoodrealness.com <laughs> because they really show you sort of a, a side-by-side shot of that whole sort of situation for 1931. Just saying. Kathleen's very, Kathleen's very proud of these screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm kind of am. I, like, I Well, you know, because I was trying to figure out because I was like, damn, like, there's coming out so blurry and, like, there's some really great looks in here. I'm like, how do I fucking figure out how to, like, show like illustrate what was going on, you know? So yay. yay. You know? <laughs> I learned things. <laughs> well, as Kathleen said, you should visit our website. Um, yes. Old Hollywood realness.com. You should keep in touch with us over on the social media. You can hit us up on Facebook, um, which is old Hollywood realness, uh, Instagram at old Hollywood realness, Twitter at OHR podcast, 
Um, you can email us all your thoughts and prayers uh, or any comments mm-hmm. you might have on this movie or if you know anything or have heard anything or you know somebody who knows something, you can email us over at oldhollywoodrealness at gmail.com. Uh, when you're on our website checking out the uh, the screen caps, you can always use our Amazon banner. Click that and shop as you normally would and we get some we get some little cash monties, uh, which mm-hmm. is always nice. That way we don't have to con it out of other people. You know, we don't have to pull, we don't have to pull rackets <laughs> as it were. <laughs> we don't have to run any cons yeah. on anyone. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Although we have been dipping into the Warner archives lately. Yes. And I just, you know, we don't, we don't get any money for, for pushing that, but Warner archives y'all like, it's really great. There's some and good stuff on I there. have to say like watching an old movie on your phone is not that bad. Like sometimes it's like, yeah. it's kind of immersive, like with your headphones and stuff, but it's really a good deal. Yeah, you can, yeah. there's, it's a gem. And if you have, please check it out. We have an Apple TV. I think I think they have an app on Apple TV and Roku. So like, and if you have an yeah. old school Apple TV like me, I just stream it from my phone directly to my TV. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Watch it's, it on your it's, just, it's, it's a wonderful. really really great like uh, secondary resource if you already have like Amazon Prime or Netflix or anything like that, and you just want to check out. I mean, they have everything from like silent films to like eight is enough. I oh, mean, yeah. everything everything in there. So please check it out. Yeah, they're awesome. This is not an endorsement from them, but if they want to endorse. We would not hate that. We love you guys. Okay, thanks. Um, Bye. What else do we got? We got to um, give props to Hal Lublin for his um, audio and vocal talents at the top of the show, Uh, keeping us sounding profesh. Um, Go over, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and leave us a review. That way we can read that on the air. And um, show you show us love, and we show you love. Uh, exactly. As it were. Uh, other than that, uh, do you have anything else before I sign off? Um. Oh gosh, real quick, should I tell everybody that I adopted a cat? I adopted a cat, you guys. <laughs> Um, I, we have an official old Hollywood realness mascot. Um, it's a little black kitty. He's really cute. Um, I got him from the, um, the Oakland, I'm sorry, Oakland. Oh gosh. The Portland Humane Society. Um, I please, I just want to say that if you're ever interested in adopting a pet, please, um, consider adopting an adult pet because a lot of times they are looking for homes and I know kittens and puppies are awesome, but adult ones usually um already have a lot of they just want to get back to that structure and it's so great and i love my kitty yeah he's really awesome we'll have to make him a little gold sequin bow tie (laughs) oh gosh oh i would love that so much and little tap shoes oh god he's so cute He's a little timid right now, but as soon as he gets not as scared, I hope to take more pictures and maybe we can throw some up. Oh, yeah. And show. But he's he's just cute as a button. Cute he's really as cute. as a button. He really is. Um, with, with that, <laughs> thanks for listening to OHR, honey. Bye.